Um, I was thinking about uh, today, and uh, I was having this conversation that led to some of this, but in case you don't know me, uh, I'm Pastor Joey. I'm the youth and young adult pastor here at Belmont Assembly of God. But to give you a little more details, I am a a zenial straight male who's half Puerto Rican, half Mexican, United States citizen, Chicago native. Okay? Now, why am I saying all that? Well, because in today's day, there are a million ways to identify yourself. Right, And we all have a, a certain theme, a certain way. Uh, in today's culture, we identify uh, by our people groups, by where we come from. Uh, people you know identify uh, by what gender they identify with, by their pronouns, by whether they're Democrat or Republican, by their country of origin. There's all these different ways that not only people identify, but you're expected to identify as. Uh, even you know, the famous question, where are you from? Right? We usually ask that question when we can't tell. When we're like, you kind of look like, you know, and I always feel bad. I have this conversation with some of our leaders. I always feel bad in Chicago. If you're looking Hispanic and they ask you where you're from, let's be honest. What they mean is most of the time, are you Mexican or Puerto Rican? They don't care about all the other amazing, like 20 plus Latin American countries. So you're like, oh yeah, no, I'm from El Salvador. And they're like, uh. (laughs) It's like this face of disappointment, right? It's like, oh, okay. I don't know what that is. but listen, I, it, never, it never hit me that hard, this, this idea either, until we went uh, outside the country. I remember the first time uh, I took a team to England with me, and uh, we're hanging around, and we're doing stuff, and they presented us, and they kept referring to us as the Americans. And so, hey, the Americans are here, and I'm like, the Americans? Oh, I'm American, yeah, right? Because here you don't say that. You say what your culture is, nine times out of 10, right? Even though I was born, raised here, English is my more predominant language. I can speak Spanish, but uh, English is what I'm more comfortable with. But this is that idea, right? This is how you identify. And especially it's hard as a a Hispanic. I'm lucky that I speak Spanish. If y'all are in that camp where you're Hispanic or Hispanic looking and your mom and dad never taught you Spanish and the old Hispanic people yell at you, for not knowing Spanish like it was your fault when you were two, you didn't teach yourself, right? And I'm sure it's true for other coaches. I'm sure Filipino moms and, and uh, you know, out there yelling at the kid for not being able to speak Tagalog or Bisan or whatever. You know, we have all these, these identity factors that we try to cling to. And I don't think there's necessarily a problem with most of them, right? I'm proud of my culture. Usually people will ask me like, what do you like more, Puerto Rican or Mexican? I'm like, both, man. We had arroz con gandules and chilaquiles. Like we, we threw down with both ends. So I, I love it all. Uh, so people tried to pigeonhole me sometimes. But the problem isn't necessarily those identifying markers. The problem that I find and what I'd like to address this morning comes when that identifying marker, whatever it is that you most identify with, comes before your identity in Christ. When any of that comes before your identity in Christ, there's an issue. When you are a Puerto Rican before you are a Christian, there's an issue. When you get more hoops and hollers because your culture got shouted out than the worship you were giving God 15 minutes ago, there's a problem. Right, And then this is what happens. Like If you're more proud of being Polish than of being Christian, there's issues there. And, and a lot of times it's not just culture, it's, it's other things. You know, if, if you're more excited about the Bears convention this past weekend and, and getting the new Bears jersey than you are about your spiritual walk with the Lord, that's an identity issue. 
And it can be whatever. It can be your hobby. You know, I laugh sometimes. I, I mess around with a lot of our guys that are into photography. I'm like, man, y'all will wake up at 3 in the morning just to go downtown to get a sunrise shot on your camera, but you won't come to church on time? Like, like and, and they know I'm kidding sometimes. You know, I, I get on them about it. But again, what is it? It's sometimes that says a lot about what you're more identifying. I identify more as a photographer than as a Christian. I identify more as a baller than as a Christian. I identify with my job, right? Like, I'm a police officer before I'm a Christian. No, that's not how it's supposed to be. Your identity in Christ should supersede any other identity in your life. (laughs) Now, listen, I'm not just talking out my neck here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. As plain as can be, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus erased those borderlines that we've set up. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as a male or female. That doesn't mean that, you know, there wasn't a a difference between the Jew and the Gentile at that time. There are still differences, and there's still different roles and aspects like that. But what he is saying is your identity in Christ supersedes anything else. Your identity in Christ comes before your culture or your tribe. You know, again, I, I hate to say it, but if we mention your particular country, there's inadvertently somebody's gonna, even if you're the only one, you might be from this tiny, little bitty island, right? You might be from Palau, and, and, and Ms. Livy's gonna shout out Palau, right? And I knew she would, enjoy silence. But, and again, she's like the only one from that island that I know of in this room. But what I love about Ms. Libby is she would never shout more for Palau than she would for her Lord. Because I've seen her worship, I've seen her interact with Jesus. And that's the thing, it's okay to have, you know, a certain level of pride in where you come from and your food and your background and your job and all those things. That there's, to a certain extent, that's fine. But it should never supersede your identity in Christ. Your politics should never supersede your identity in Christ. I don't know where this came from, where we've gotten to a point where politics and our faith have intertwined so much that you couldn't tell the difference anymore. But your identity in Christ should always supersede who you vote for and what you think policy should be. It should always be centered in Christ before your gender. There's so many pronouns. Now, listen, I'm just, what's your name? I'll call you Bob. Bob, Bob's your name. We'll just stick with that because I can't keep up with all the different identifying factors that you want. For me, my identity is in Christ before my job, before I'm a pastor. Okay, before I'm a pastor, I have to be a believer. Before I preach, I have to be willing to be taught. Before I'm standing up saying anything, I got to be willing to live it. This has to start in me before it flows out of me. My identity in Christ is what filters all other identifying markers. And I think that's the key, that your identity in Christ be the literal filter of all your other identifying markers. If it can't go through Christ, then it shouldn't be a part of your life. Okay, if it can't go through Christ, again, I don't think the Bible is against you being from Nigeria. Fine, that's awesome. I love Nigerians. They made me eat this weird nut one time that tasted horrible, but I love them anyways, okay? Your cultures are fun for me. That can go through, but there are certain aspects of your former way of life, of what you used to identify with, that when you became a Christian, got blocked by that filter. There are certain parts of who you became when you became a new creation, as the Bible tells us, when the old was gone and the new came in, that that no longer passes through the filter of your identity in Christ. 
And some of those markers can't pass through that filter anymore. And we need to be willing to start noticing that. Let's go on with Galatians. I had mentioned Galatians chapter 3. But then in chapter 4, the author of Galatians, he goes in a little bit harder. Now, let me give you a little background on this situation. The church in Galatia, it was a little bit unique in the sense that they had a, a mixture of Jewish converts and Gentile converts. Now, a, a Gentile in the Bible is anybody who wasn't from a Jewish descent. So you were not the chosen people, you were an outside people. Okay, and so when Christ came, he abolished all those lines, right? No more Jew, Gentile, they're all one in Christ, right? These are Christians now. That word Christian uh, was a term given to the church in Antioch. It, was more, it wasn't any, anything that they came up with. They referred to themselves as people of the way. And at this point, other people started looking at them and calling them Christians, which means little Christ. They're like, you just look like little Jesuses. And so they called them Christians. And so here's where this idea of Christianity started to birth from. But you got these people with their backgrounds, and they're trying to bring their backgrounds into Christianity. And so the Jews are trying to bring old Jewish cultures that are no longer applicable into this new faith. The Gentiles are trying to bring old pagan cultures that are not applicable anymore into this faith. And Paul is sitting there going, no, 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 no. We got to fix this, guys. You're misunderstanding everything. And so he goes in through a few verses, but let me just focus on verse 7 through 9. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 through 9 says this. You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. Okay, so right off the bat, he's saying, listen, there's a new identity in your life, okay? You're no longer who you used to be, but you are now a child of God. And since you are his child, God made you his heir. You get to inherit all the things that come with being a child of God. Before you were you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of the world? He's saying, listen, we, we, we did so much to get you to this point. And some of you, man, you, you've had long journeys to get to Jesus. And, and it's saying, listen, God's like, listen, we, we, we made so many strides to get you to this point. Why do you want to go back? Why do you want to go back to, to how it used to be, to the things you used to do? And listen, that's nothing new. You see it all throughout the Bible. You saw it with the people of Israel when God broke them out of Egypt. And they're wandering the desert. And they're sitting there going, man, I missed the food back in Egypt. And God's like, remember you were a slave, right? Like, you remembered the food in Egypt, but you don't remember the slavery of Egypt. And a lot of times we look at our past and we look fondly at certain things. We laugh about, man, I can't believe I survived that. That was crazy. You might remember how many bullets went through that window? Woo! Man, it was fun though, right? It's like, no, you almost died. That's not good. Like, we need to get past that situation. But for whatever reason, we begin to identify with the things of our past, with who we used to be, and we try to bring that past into this new creation. And God does not want that. And so there are a few things that I think are important for us to understand how to identify as a Christian. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this. If you want to identify a Christian, you got to look at the clothes. If you're taking notes, clothes. Now listen, I mean looking more like Christ, okay? So before you start getting angry with me, I'm not talking about, you know, legalism. I'm not saying that we're going to start forcing all the women to wear long skirts and not paint their nails. And men, you're going to have to wear suits. It's too hot for me to wear suits. Y'all can rock them well, but at this size, a suit is not comfortable outside. Okay, and listen, in case you've ever wondered, I know some people might be like, how come the pastors are wearing jeans upstage? One, it's comfortable. 
But two, a while back, Pastor Carlos uh, initiated that because he didn't want people to feel like they couldn't approach us, like we were better than them or higher than them. We wanted people to be willing to come as you were and to feel comfortable. And that's fine. Now, listen, there, there's a limit to that, though, right? I'm not going to be up here anytime soon in any short shorts and tank tops. Like, you know, there's some modesty. I, I, I got to control your, you know, myself. Yeah? I don't want nobody being weird or being tempted. So um, <laughs> we have to control yourselves. Why'd you laugh? That's not even, <laughs> laugh like it's not true. My wife knows. We're not talking about legalism, okay? But clothing is a quick identifying marker that all of us use. We see somebody and we look at how they're dressed and we see the type of apparel they're wearing and we make quick assumptions. Now, I'm not saying they're always true, but they are identifying markers. So, you know, if I see you in, in, in a Bears jersey, I'm just going to assume you're a Bears fan. I'm going to assume you're from Chicago. There's just a lot of assumptions that I'm making. If I see you in a Cubs hat, I assume you like winners and I assume you're into champions. And I just assume that, you know, you're... You're all about that. If, if, you, if you're wearing a socks hat, I assume it's for the colors and the style and that you don't know anybody on the team and, uh, and you just said it because you're stuck in 2006. That's, those, are, those are my assumptions. Those are my assumptions that I make. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying they're assumptions, okay? But listen, our clothing does say a lot about us. It, it does give people a good indication you know, I'll tell you a funny thing. I had a number of people compliment me on my shirt today, followed with, are you preaching? Now, that's not rare. There are a number of occasions where people look at me and think I'm a little bit more dressed up than normal and assume I only do that if I'm preaching. And so there's been a number of times like, oh, you look cute today. Are you preaching? I was like, no, I just, I bought a new shirt. Like, it's not a big deal, right? But that's the assumption that they're making. And again, we have to be fair to that. Now listen, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21 through 24 says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. What is he saying? Listen, that old clothes, it's got to go. Now, I've been a youth pastor for over a decade, so I'm going to give you a little, little insight into my life, okay? I've done a lot of camps and retreats, and it is not uncommon, particularly with junior high boys, for them to not want to change their clothes during that week or weekend. It is not uncommon, and I hope this ain't your kid, but I've seen it over the years, it is not uncommon for a junior high boy to admit he only brought one pair of underwear for the whole trip. And you're like, oh, I know. I know you only brought one pair of underwear. Now, here's what happens, right? He'll wear that underwear every day. And maybe, if you're lucky, he'll change his shirt. <laughs> maybe. And even with that new shirt, you know what you still notice? The smell of the old clothes. It starts to reek. That's how a lot of us look to the world. We put on this new shirt called Jesus, right? We put on this new outfit and it's nice and clean and new, but you forgot to take off your old under. You forgot to take off the clothes that you had on and you start to smell like what you used to be. Yeah, you can give God praise. You start to smell like you used to be. Listen, we got to get to a point where all of it 
Even the things underneath. See, those things underneath, those are the private areas. Right? That underwear that the kid doesn't want to change, that's the stuff that nobody else really notices. Because we'll notice if you're wearing the same shirt every day. We just won't notice if you're wearing the same underwear. Those are the private parts of our life that we don't want to change, that we keep the same. See, the outside looks good now, right? Like we play the part, we come to church. The outside looks fresh and new and clean. Nobody notices until it starts to smell a little more that you didn't change what was on the inside, what was in the private areas of your life. Usually that's the last part to change. And so this is the problem is that underneath clothes, the clothes that you kept on, what it ends up doing is it ends up dirtying and stinking up the rest of the clothes. Christ came to wash you clean. I don't know about y'all. I cannot take a shower and put on the clothes I had. That, no, I just, it just, it's just a weird, it's just a weird, it's just not a feeling I like. And there is something magical when you, I don't know what it is, man. You, you take a bath, shower, and, and you put on new clothes, and it smells good. And I love when people, you know, they'll hug me like, oh, you smell good. It's like, downy. You know? <laughs> right. Don't mask downy with cologne. You don't got to do that. Smell fresh, right? So I'm like, yes, freshly laundered, soft, beautiful clothes. Listen, man, Jesus Christ died on the cross to wash you clean with the blood and to put on that fresh white linen to say, listen, you are new. You don't gotta be like that anymore. When you fail to remove the old nature, the clothes you used to wear, the things that used to identify you, the clothes that carry the world's label on them, then the new nature is not clothes anymore, but it's a costume. Something you put over your old clothes, a fake nature you put on your old self to fool people in this building. And you could do a good job at it, but you will never fool God. So how can we tell the real from the fake? How do you know if they haven't changed? Well, number two, if you're taking notes, by the crop, the fruit you bear. The clothes are the initiating one, but the crop, the fruit you bear, that's, that's a real indicator. See, we can identify with whatever we want, but the truth comes out in your actions. You can say whatever, like again, I, I joke around, but when I meet like a Sox fan and I'm messing with this, typically it's, it's, you know, one of the students and they're like, I'm a Sox fan. I'm like, dude, name me five players. And they're like, um, you got, um, you know, whatever, bro, I'm a Sox fan. And it's like, uh, but listen, it happens with Cubs fans too, right? I'll be at a Cubs and they don't care about the game. And I'm like, are you even watching? They're like, oh, yeah, of course. It's like, dude, you're not even paying attention. Like, get out of my face with this. I get annoyed as a real fan because they don't know anything. So you'll hear people like, yeah, you know, I, I've been a, a Warriors fan, you know, since Steph Curry got drafted. It's like, you don't know Byron Davis. You don't know, you don't know the background. You don't know what that team came from. You just jumped on the bandwagon. And so it begins to frustrate me. Why? Because I see that their life isn't what they say. And this is what bothers people is when you claim one thing and live another, they don't want to pay attention to any of it. Matthew reminds us in chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. That's talking about in the church. He's not talking about outside. He's not talking about wolves outside. He's like, listen, be careful with the people who come in here and put on a costume. Put on the, the new clothes, but don't want to get rid of the old clothes. Those are vicious wolves. And so how do we spot them? You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. 
A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Talk is cheap when it comes to your faith, especially when so many people claim it and so few live it. This is a frustrating area for people. People have a hard time with Christianity when the people who claim to have it don't live it, right? Gandhi said it, I have no problem with your Jesus, it's his followers that he had an issue with, right? We are the ones, one of my favorite quotes, and I say it all the time, is the greatest single cause of atheism in the world are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door with an alternate lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world truly finds unbelievable, okay? It is confusing when you say one thing and act out another, okay? That's why, you know, we, we often have with the teenagers, we just spoke about the legalization of marijuana and, and alcohol and sex before marriage, and we were having this whole talk about it on Thursday night. And here was the deal, because I would assume maybe some of you are thinking, man, I can't wait till January 1st. But your testimony supersedes your freedom. And how many know, it'd be really weird if instead of water in here, I had something else. Okay, if my sermon started getting real chippy in a minute, it's water. Thank you, Jesus, water. <laughs> How many know? You stopped coming to this church. I hope. You would complain. You would make sure I'd get fired. I mean, there's all types of uproar. Why? Because that doesn't back up my testimony. And my testimony to me is more important than my freedom. It's more important than a Heineken or a, or a Blunt or anything. Is, is my testimony. The fact that I can go to somebody and look them in the eye and say, listen, this is what God did in my life. This is the new nature, right? Listen, in my life, I have never tasted alcohol. I've never smoked any, anything. I've, never, I have asthma. I have half a lung already. You want me to ruin the one lung I got? I've always avoided. Now, I understand. I'm not going to go to hell, and I'm not going to instantly die if I had one beer. I get it. But I like the fact that, one, I don't miss it. It's, nothing I, it's not old clothes to me. I never put it on. But, two, I can look these kids straight in the face and say, listen, follow the example that I'm leading for you. I can look you in the eye and say, you don't need that to live this godly life. And, and listen, yeah, absolutely. Please, please don't give me the cultural excuse. Please don't tell me, well, that's, that's what we do culturally. You're not that anymore. Well, that, you know, that's in my family parties, that's what we do. You're not that anymore. That's, that's who you used to be. That's not who you are now. So you can't use that excuse anymore. Oh, well, hey, grow, this is what we always, this is how I always talk. That's not who you used to be. I used to always swear, that'd be really hard to do with my current position, okay? That's not who I am anymore. That's who I used to be, but I took off that old clothes, and I put on new clothes. So listen, you got to understand, you can't be flipping off the guy that cut you off on the road, and then on the back of your bumper, you got a Jesus fish. That's confusing for people. Okay? You, am I right? I mean, just, some of you are like, man, Pastor. <laughs> it was once. It was once. <laughs> You can identify them by their clothes. You can identify them by their crop. But here's maybe one of the bigger ones. You can identify them by their community. Community. Which means the way that you love other believers. You know why there's so many identifying markers? Because every one of these identifying markers is telling you that I am a part of a community. Every human being longs to be part of a community. And so that's why you have... 
the LGBTQ community. That's why you have these sports fans clubs where they gather together and they tailgate and they form community. That's why you have fantasy football leagues and baseball leagues. That's why you have all these after school clubs and, and all these other programs and these day. These are all opportunities for people to create community. That's why, you know, every random Hispanic kid is Puerto Rican in June because they want to be a part of the prayer. They want to be a part of the community. I always laugh like Cinco de Mayo. They're like, woo. I'm like, do you even know what happened that day? Have you have any clue what you said? Mexican independence. Like, no, it's September. You're way off on your dates. Right. But again, it's just this idea is I don't care what it is. I just want to be a part. I want to be connected to this community. And if we're honest, People are willing to connect to anything if it's a community. Why would a game banger, 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid, risk his life doing all these things? Why? Because he found a community. Say what you will about the rest of the gang, but they're a community of people that love him, or at least in his eyes, he thinks they love him or her. And they're willing to risk their lives for the community that they found. Now, why is that an issue for us? Because sometimes we make it hard for people to find community here. And if they can't find community here, they'll find community out there. Think about it this way. Here's a fun test. I'm going to mess you up right now. Look up and down your row. Just real quick, look up and down your row. You know everybody's name in that row? Because most of us sit in the same seat every week. Do you know everybody's name in that row? Now listen, some of you are like, oh yeah, it's my mom, right? Okay, Pastor Jason said it's his mom. Jesse, you don't count. That's your whole family. I get that. So let's take it up a notch. Do you know everybody in the row behind you? The row in front of you? Okay, here's a better one. You're like, yeah, I know them. What's their name? What's their name? You sit here every week. Some of y'all been here 30 years. You don't know the name of the person who sits behind you every week. That's not community. That's strangers who come to a building. That's not community. This is why people have a hard time connecting, because you're not connected. And so instead of having silos and groups of people, we need to form community. We need to listen. I get that you're hungry and you want to take a nap. Oh, my Lord Jesus, Sunday naps hit differently than any other kind of nap. I get it. I'm with you. Yes. But I got to go to community. Man, I've had graduation parties every Sunday since school started. I don't know how y'all graduated in November, but it's been happening. And I'll be honest with you, I don't want to go. I'm like, man, I'm old. And I know you're like, you're not old. But 11 years doing it, you, get, you feel old. I don't want to go to another graduation party. What stops me? I want to make sure they know that we're a part of the community. I want to make sure that they understand that, that I'm not just preaching out my neck here, that I am a part of this community. This is why we ask you to serve in ministry, right? It's not just because we need free labor. That's not, that's not the reason. That's what we have the youth ministry for, okay? <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. It happens. <laughs> okay, we don't need the free labor. What do we need? We are trying to give you an opportunity to come alongside somebody else and build community. And you build great community when you're serving alongside somebody. 
You build great community when you're in the trenches and you're working and you're putting things together and you're loving on each other and you're having lunch and man, do we get lunch a lot, right? You're doing all these things and you're creating community. Right, I'm looking at Brother Rene right now. I remember as a teenager, I would ride my bike to church to work with him and paint. Why? I just wanted to be a part of the community. You know, I just wanted to help. So I painted. I put things together. Why? I'm just trying to be part of this community. Like I found a home. I found. You know what made me want to come back when I was a teenager? I remember getting off the bus at school, and there was a youth leader at the time who got off the same bus. We were like crossing paths. And she looked at me. She said, oh, Joey. And it blew my mind that she remembered my name. I said, you remembered my name? I mean, it literally changed my whole life. Because somebody remembered my name. I came back. I remember there was a worship leader. Hey, Joey, what's up? I'm like, wow, he remembered my name. People here know my name. I want to come back. Church, what would happen if we made the effort to just start with knowing our names? John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, the world don't want to be a part of this when we're bickering with each other online. It grieves me when I see believers bickering over politics, over dumb issues, over theological debates on social platforms because the rest of the world is going, I never want to be a part of that dysfunction. It literally pains my heart because it makes it so much harder to change a person's mindset when all they see on their social platforms are believers coming against each other. We need to form such a tight-knit community, such a community of love and grace and mercy that people aren't scared to come into it. They're yearning to come into it. They're hoping to be a part of it. There's no reason why gangs should have more of a welcoming atmosphere than the church. There's no reason why the LGBTQT community should be more powerful in its collecting than the church. It's no reason that any political movement should be more galvanizing than the church. The church and I mean plural, the church, not the black church, the Latino church, the white church, the church. I love that we have over 66 different nationalities here. I get bored if it was just one. I love it because this is what I picture heaven to be like. I picture heaven to be the church as we galvanize together, as we love each other, as we build each other up. Because we no longer identify by our old identifying markers. I have met so many amazing brothers and sisters in Christ that I instantly had a connection with and a love to simply because we were bonded by the blood of Jesus. You're a believer, I'm a believer. Bam, instant connection. I'm looking at them like, yo, we just became best friends. But I at least got to know their name. Church, I want to challenge you. You want this world to believe? You want them to see that you're a real disciple? Well, how do you look clothing-wise? What are you rocking? What are you showing to the world? What are you producing in your actions? What fruit is being bared in your life? And what kind of community are you forming? Are you in a silo? Do you not know anybody here? Why would somebody want to connect with you if you're not connected to anybody else? So why is this all important, Pastor Jason, if you can help me out? Why am I making such a big deal about this? 
Because a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, you know, this is my personal thing. Why are you such blah, blah, blah. I mean, you, you, I know anybody can come with an excuse for anything. But why do I think it's so important for us to be able to be identified as Christians? Well, let's go back to Galatians chapter 4, the beginning of verse 9, where Paul says, so now that you know God, and here's the, the interesting part, or should I say, now that God knows you? I think that's the reason why it's so important. Because you have to ask yourself the question, not does the world identify me as a Christian? Not does Pastor Joey identify me as a believer? But does Christ know me? Not just my name, but does he know me as his? Do I identify with Christ so much so that he sees himself in me? That he sees his name written on me so that he knows they belong to me? See, this isn't about keeping face and making sure that we keep up appearances so that people don't judge us. I'm not talking about that at all, really. The bottom line about all of this is if we can barely identify, can Christ? Does Christ know that you belong to him? Here's the warning, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Listen, not all of you who lifted up your hands and sang are gonna get into heaven. Not all of you who check off Christian on a census are gonna get into heaven. Not all of you who've been water baptized are gonna get into heaven. Just because you did it doesn't mean that you have this access doesn't mean that you have his mark written on you. We prophesied in the name of Jesus. I love how people think this. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Cast out demons in your name. Perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Think about that, okay? This isn't the people that are talking about, this isn't the nominal Christian. This is a person who did great things for the Lord, who cast out demons. I mean, that's, that's intense, right? So this is somebody who, who performed not just one miracle, many miracles. I always think it's funny in the Catholic Church how it takes three miracles to be a saint. I'm like, man, two miracles and you can't get in? That's rough. But here he says many miracles, and yet they're not allowed to enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because you know what? God can use a donkey. You're not special if you're used. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about you. It says everything about God. Okay? There's nothing unique and special and holy about me being able to preach. Because there's a lot of preachers throughout history that will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Who were used by God, but never wanted to be owned by God. So it's not enough that you serve, that you come here every week, that you dress appropriately, that you make friends, all that is important. But are you his? Can he identify you as one of his own? So here's how I'd like to close. I'm gonna ask you to stand right where you're at. And I believe there's two, two groups of people in this room. 
the ones that are his and the ones that aren't. Now to the ones that are his, I implore you, look the part as well. Clothe yourself in your new nature. Forget about who you used to be. Get over who you used to be. Stop clinging to who you used to be. Good and bad, it's not anything compared to who you're going to be in Christ Jesus. So to those who belong to Christ, put on that new clothes, make sure that you're bearing fruit, serve alongside your brothers and sisters, create community so that other people will come and say, man, I'd love to be a part of that. But for those of you who aren't, who've maybe gone to church their whole lives, but honestly, you know, man, I'm not, I can't identify with Christ. When he looks down at me, he doesn't see someone who's trying to be like him, someone who's trying to serve him, someone who's trying to love him, someone who cast off who they used to be and surrendered to him. Really, when they look at me, they see a rebellious person that wants to live their own life and is here simply to appease a loved one. Sir, ma'am, the beautiful thing about my Lord is while there's breath in your lung, there's opportunity to become his. So here's how I'd like to close. I'm gonna ask you quite simply, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Just out of respect for everybody else in this room. It's a private moment between you and the Lord. In this moment, I wanna offer you an opportunity to walk out of this place knowing 100% certainty without a shadow of a doubt that I belong to Jesus, that his name is written on my heart and my name is written in a book of life. That when I stand before him, he's not gonna see a stranger, he's gonna see his own child. If you're in this place and as I was speaking, the Lord was tugging at your heart saying, that's you. Man, he's talking to you. Don't wait for me to say your name. You already know who you are. If you're in this place, say, Pastor Joy, that's me. I need the Lord in my life, I need to accept. Jesus Christ is my savior. Right where you're at, would you just lift up your hand and I wanna pray for you. Is there anyone here who says, that's me? Thank you, brother. Anyone else? That's me, Pastor, thank you. Anyone else says, that's me? Yes, there's somebody over there. Anyone else? Just keep your hand up until one of our workers comes by you. They're just gonna lay a hand on you and that's your signal to put your hand down. I'm gonna ask the church, church, would you just repeat after me as we usher these blessed people into the kingdom of heaven? Just repeat after me and say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I reject my old nature, who I used to be. And I ask you, Lord, to make me into who you want me to be. Make me fresh and new. Make me yours. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now listen, while we're still, just hold, while we're still in this atmosphere of prayer, I want to pray for you, church. Because I know it's not easy identifying with Christ. It's not easy looking the part. But I want to challenge you to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. To learn, to take inventory and say, listen, there's some things in my life that I've been letting pass through this filter that shouldn't. There's some aspects in my life that I've been identifying with that I should no longer identify with because it doesn't line up with God's word. You know what, I, I've been lax. I haven't been bearing fruit. I haven't been serving. I haven't been doing anything to further the kingdom of God. I know I need to get involved. 
Man, I, I honestly don't know most people's name in this room. I haven't gotten involved. I just come and I leave as quick as I'm here. Church, we need to move forward in these areas. So I want to pray God's help. Heavenly Father, would you help us in this, God? Lord, your greatest desire was for unity in your body, God. You desire that all people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior and that we would learn to love each other just as you love us. So, Father, I ask, would you help us, God? Help us to look the part, Lord. Help us to shed the old nature and put on our new clothes, God. Help us to bear fruit so that people will see the goodness of a God in our lives, God. Help us to be able to create community so that the outside world will know that we're your disciples. Lord, help us to be everything that you have called us to be. Help us to truly live up to that word, Christian, so that we look like you more and more every day. Lord, we thank you for the process, God. We thank you for your grace and mercy through this process. But God, I pray, help us not to abuse grace. Lord, help us not to drag our feet, God, but to run the race that you have carved out for us. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.